0: Hi again, everybody. I'm Dan Horde, and thanks for downloading the Bengals Booth podcast. The don't be shocked by the tone of my voice. Check out my new weapon. Weapon of choice. Addition, as the Bengals add one of the top weapons in this year's draft to the offense with a selection of LSU wide receiver Jamar Chase. Coming up, I'll discuss Chase with one of my favorite writers covering the NFL, Kian Fahey. He's an Irishman who's hosted a podcast for ESPN in the past and is currently producing content for subscribers at Patreon.com for as little as $2 a month. Trust me, you will want to hear what he has to say about Jamar Chase. Then I'll be joined by my broadcast partner, Dave Lapham, to discuss why the Bengals opted for Chase over Panay Sewell, and who they are likely targeting tomorrow in rounds two and three. The Bengals Booth Podcast is presented by Bud Light Seltzer. Refresh the game. And here's a quick reminder that you can have the latest edition of this podcast delivered right to your phone, tablet, or computer by subscribing on iTunes, Stitcher, Google Play, Spotify, or Podbean. It's the greatest thing since... The Beast. I used to be a bookstore's best friend leading up to the draft, as I would buy several draft guides to help prep for the draft and then to learn more about the Bengals' late-round picks that I didn't know that much about. Dane Brugler, the draft expert for The Athletic, has cut down on my spending thanks to his annual draft guide known as The Beast. This year, it contains 415 scouting reports and nearly 262,000 words. It's so comprehensive that I now know that quarterback Zach Wilson, selected number two overall by the Jets, is the nephew of the dude that founded JetBlue Airways. The Beast definitely lives up to the nickname and is one of many reasons why I subscribe to The Athletic. I also subscribe to the football content produced by Kian Fahey on Patreon.com. He's worked for Football Outsiders and ESPN in the past, and has some very interesting things to say about the Bengals' selection of Jamar Chase. Ian, tonight the Bengals selected Jamar Chase fifth overall. You wrote about him and did some video analysis last month. The headline of your story was, Jamar Chase is a true superstar prospect. I've seen enough of your work to know you don't throw that term around lightly. Why are you so high on Jamar Chase?
1: (laughs) I don't throw that around lightly. And the funny part of it is, and this is very relevant for Bengals fans, watching Joe Burrow last year, and maybe you won't, might like me saying this, but you won't care now, but when I was watching Joe Burrow, the best player on the field every single game I watched was Jamar Chase. Like the, the quality of him as a wide receiver, I wanted them to let him, obviously you don't want guys who are too young to be playing in the NFL because you just get beaten up, but I wanted him to be able to come out after last year because there was nothing left for him to do in college. He, he's a bigger receiver. Actually, because he's going, going to the Bengals, it's kind of perfect because you guys have got T Higgins there and you just watched, what T Higgins did in his rookie year where you have that size, you have that athleticism and you have those ball skills. The interesting aspect of it is T Higgins really surprised me as a rookie because when he was coming out of college, his routes were quite poor. He'd get pushed around a little bit. And I didn't think he adjusted all that well in the air to the ball. Now, if you compare him to Jamar Chase, you'll see the size, you'll see the athleticism, maybe like, yeah, they're similar. But then you'll realize if if you go back and look more closely at Chase's college tape, he's doing things that Higgins didn't do in college. So he's doing the adjustments like a lot of Burrow, or a lot of the passes that Burrow would have given him because Burrow is obviously not. He a, was a very good rookie and a very impressive rookie, but he's not a huge armed quarterback. He's not throwing Matthew Stafford type of passes. So oftentimes Chase would have opportunities to make adjustments in the air which is why he's a perfect fit borough. And you saw him do that so consistently in college where he would see where the ball was going before a defensive back, which means he was moving to his position before a defensive back could even figure out what was happening, which meant he was getting in the right spot. So like a great rebounder in basketball, he's already got the position, but then he's got the size and the athleticism. So once he gets that position, you're not involved at all. He turns these contested catches into one opportunity to catch the ball, and it's only chases. And normally when you get a guy who's that good, who's that scary, who's that talented at the catch point like a mike evans or someone like that they're not that great overall as actual receivers they rely on that aspect of their game but that's not the case with him he runs outstanding routes he's very good getting off the line of scrimmage he's very nimble and what he wants in his movement he can run after the catch obviously he's a he's a complete superstar receiver to me and I, he's one of those guys where if you normally avoid receivers like over recent years we haven't really wanted them to go in the top five but there's no argument taking where you take him because of just how good he is
0: we're talking to NFL analyst Kean Fahey. I assume the fact that Joe Burrow threw to him for two years has to be a plus. How big of a plus in your opinion?
1: Uh, I'm not sure how much that really matters just because the level of competition is so different. And now with Burrow's knee injury, obviously there's going to be some question marks about how his timing and everything gets down in the offseason and how he's going to feel playing on that knee. But you, you can still be really optimistic about it. I think actually what I'm more interested in is how the, it will impact the defense when you've got Higgins on one side, Chase on the other, and then you've got like Tyler Boyd working in the middle, you know what I mean? Like, come on, like what, what are you you have how many more weapons do you need? Cause obviously we wanted that to be with AJ Green last year, but Green was at the end of his career and injuries had caught up to him a little bit and that limited him a little bit. But Chase's ability to win the ball one on one and Higgins' ability to win the ball one on one on both sides of the field. And then you factor in that neither of those guys can be matched up to with just a big cornerback. Like in, back in the day, you could have had a big cornerback go against a big receiver. You can challenge him at the catch point and that's all. That's all you got to do. That, you don't have to worry about it anymore. If you just put a bigger corner on Chase he'll still run away from that guy he'll still make, it, make a catch underneath and turn into a 50 yard play and Higgins on the other side will do the same thing so if you've got Burrow there who's so intelligent with where he throws the ball like obviously he had his struggles as a rookie every quarterback does and the charting that I do and the analysis that I do rookie quarterbacks have never come out looking great because they're rookie quarterbacks but you could see the potential there in what Burrow was doing his, his intermediate and his short accuracy is really good his intelligence is really good to understand not only where to go with the ball but how to place the ball against the specific Coverage to set his receiver up. So when you've got a guy like Chase who works brilliantly in the blind spot of the defender, who works brilliantly catching the ball and going after the catch, and the ball is being thrown to the exact spot he needs it to go to, that's like that's guaranteed production. It's gar- like unless you have some amazing turnaround where he suddenly drops the ball all the time, that's the only thing that's going to stop him. And that's something that could happen to any receiver. So if that's your only concern, you've got no concerns. I always find with like prospects, prospects like this, they're the most boring prospects because. They're good at everything, you know, like if if we start talking about Patrick Mahomes and we're like, what's Patrick Mahomes good at? And we can say all these things. Then we can say, what's Patrick Mahomes bad at? And we go, "Um, he's kind of inconsistent sometimes. And that's kind of it. That's kind of what it's like with Chase, where you're just, you're sitting there and you're superlative after superlative after superlative. And it sounds like you're just a big fan. And reality is he's just that good, you know?
0: That's the kind of boring we like here in Cincinnati. We're talking to analyst Kean Fahey. You can subscribe to see all of his content for just a few bucks a month like I do at Patreon.com. You showed several clips that showed Jamar Chase subtly pushing off to get separation. Is that good or is he going to get penalized for that in the NFL?
1: So there's a scale, okay? This is like, oh, I have an Odell Beckham to Mike Evans scale. And I'm surprised we haven't had a rule change with Mike Evans. I mean, he's gotten better at it. But when Mike Evans was coming out of college, he was just running around pushing guys like it, was, like it wasn't football, what he was doing. He would extend his arm fully and just push away from defenders and get called for it all the time. That's hasn't actually happened that much to him in the NFL. Maybe it's because the rules have changed and, or maybe he's just gotten better. But so when you're pushing off, smart pushing pushing off is pushing off in such a way that the officials can't see it. And Odell, when he was at LSU in college, he had, a, he had actually one play that always sticks with me where he ran a post route and I think it was Mettenberger threw the ball behind him. Not, no surprise there. But Mettenberger threw the ball behind him and he had to work back through the defender. And he actually used his elbow to move the defender and move the defender while his hand was going the other way to catch the ball and reach back for the ball fall to the ground. And it's this very subtle thing that you'll see the defender like falling down on the broadcast angle and you kind of wonder how did that happen and then they'll show you the replay and you'll just see that little elbow going in on his side moving him out of the way and giving a clear path for the ball and that's the type of thing that Chase can do and the Beckham to Evans scale is that on Evans side you've got receivers who just don't know understand the subtlety of it they're just pushing everyone like you know that Chicago Bears receiver last year who just punched someone out of the middle of nowhere he'd be like on that side of the scale where he can't hide anything that he's doing and on the Beckham side, you've got guys like actually AJ Green was great at this as well. All, actually, one of the things, all of the elite receivers are great at this, because it's the only way you can beat great cornerbacks. So great cornerbacks will stick with you and stay tight to your body through your route, and then the separation only comes at the last second. And how you get that separation is with your hands, or with your elbows rather than your hands, in tight. So what that means is, when your body is on their body, it's the hand that's hidden from the official. So your outside hand you don't want to use. You want to use a hand that's snapped in tight together between your two bodies and just shift them out of the way. It's like that ship that got caught in the Suez canal. You couldn't grab it and turn it around. You have to leverage it out of there. So he's great like that. They should have called him. He would have done the job.
0: Yeah. That, that ship wasn't real subtle (laughs) getting, getting stuck in the the canal. Does uh, Jamar chase remind you of anybody? I've heard people say Anquan Bolden, but running a four, three, eight instead of a four, six. Does anybody come to mind for you? (laughs)
1: <laughs> I always like those comparisons where this guy bought a massive difference between this guy and that guy. Just like um, him,
0: but fast.
1: Yeah. I think Odell is kind of where I've kind of leaned. Um, I, I think the scary name I kind of want to say that I don't want to say is Calvin. Um, the only reason I don't want to say that is Calvin Johnson reached a level that no one should ever be expected to reach. Like he's the only guy I think you can talk about with Jerry Rice and Randy Moss on that kind of a level. But in terms of talent, in terms of skill set he does literally everything Like you can't turn around and say, we asked him to do this. He has to do that. Or he has to play in one certain area. He can only be one type of coverage. That's just not the reality of what it is. And that's generally how you would compare a receiver to another receiver. Like if you were, I'm just trying to think of a a, a normal comparison there when AJ green and Julio Jones came out and Julio Jones was the superior athlete, but AJ green was a phenomenal athlete as well. And he was so incredibly fluid and his that you guys got to see that for 10 years the uh, unbelievable adjustments he made, that makes at the catch point, the unbelievable plays and routes he ran despite his size. I think Chase has some elements of that to him where he's that kind of fluid, but he's also the level of Julio Jones where the athleticism is there and the athleticism of him winning in different ways is there. So, like, I think is there a perfect style comparison? Probably not. Is there a level of comparison? You can hear in the receivers I've talked about there, I said Odell. A.J. Green, Julio Jones, and Calvin Johnson. Like, they're four of the best receivers in the last 15 years. So if you get anything close to any of those guys, you're going to be delighted. And probably Odell is the one who doesn't fit as much because he's not bigger like the other guys. But like, even then, like the size doesn't really matter that much because if Chase was two inches shorter, he'd still be able to do all the spectacular things he does. So the, the, two, the extra two inches is just a bonus.
0: Last thing for and Fahey. There's been a big debate in Cincinnati for months. Give Burrow better protection by taking Sewell give Burrow an elite weapon by taking chase. They chose chase. Did they make the right move?
1: I understand why there is a thought process that a better offensive line will keep you healthy and will protect your quarterback. And maybe there's some reality in that because if you get hit 350 times in a year instead of 400 times in a year, you're probably less likely to get injured. But the reality is, that likely or that percentage is probably like two or three percent because you're still getting hit 350 times look at Eli Manning spent his whole year behind the offensive lines that couldn't block look at Carson Wentz played behind one of the best offensive lines I've seen in the last 25 years and got injured in a scramble play you're a quarterback you're going to get hit like that's inevitable even when your protection holds up perfectly you're still going to get hit and you're going to get bumped and you're going to get knocked around yes there's a great argument for protection like with that said protection is hugely hugely important but you also have to understand the way this league is moving. The way this league is moving is get as many weapons as you can get. You get guys who will let your quarterback get the ball out quickly. Guys on the outside who will make the, the defense scared of blitzing, which makes the defense far more predictable. Now, and you've got, and actually, this comes back to your original question about how Burrow and Chase together is really promising because. Borough's the type of quarterback who can figure out where to go with the ball very quickly and get the ball out very quickly. He's not someone who needs to hold it and needs to see the receiver come open. So if you have two guys on the outside who are going to win quickly, and you've got Tyler Boyd who can obviously win quickly, you now have an opportunity for Burrow to kind of play the way Tom Brady played for so long where catches the ball, it's gone. Catches the ball, it's gone. Catches the ball, it's gone. Not to say he will be Tom Brady because that again is like comparing to Calvin Johnson. It's an unfair standard to put on people. But like that's a, a major part of how the relationship between Brady and his offensive line worked for so, year, so many years in New England. The offensive line there was always very, very good, but they were benefited by the ball coming out quickly. And that was part of having Edelman and Welker and Gronk and guys who just got open really quickly. So there are different ways to protect your quarterback. There are different ways to make your offense function. And since I don't really want Burrow to be going under center, taking deep drops, hitting deep shots off of play action all the time, you want him to be catching the ball and releasing it all the time it makes sense to have uh, that receiver Now that doesn't mean you ignore your offensive line issues, but like the other aspect of this is you're still pretty excited about Jonah Williams. You're not, you're not like concerned about having to start him. Riley at right tackle should be fine. Like that shouldn't be a, a, any major concern. So even now that you, you have gone with weapons over improved protection and over Sewell and Sewell great player, obviously as well. No, you couldn't really have gone wrong with this pick. You, it makes a lot of sense for the short term, but it also makes a lot of sense for the long-term, for the identity of what the team will be. And you can build around this triangle of Higgins, Chase, and Burrow. And, and you've still got a couple of veterans there who are pretty damn good. So you can't really complain about what you've got now. It's a, it's a loading arsenal. Actually, it reminds me of years and years ago, Mike Tomlin with uh, Ben Roethlisberger uh, took Lima Swede and Richard Mendenhall in the first round. Didn't work out. It, like, Mendenhall obviously had a decent career, but got injured in his first year. Lima Swede was a disaster. But those guys the thought process there was we had a quarterback who could deal with the offensive line. And I thought the thought process of it was really, really smart and it actually could have worked. They just missed on the players. I don't think you're going to miss on this player. So I'm not concerned about that, but the thought process and ideology of it, it's, it's fine. It works and it makes sense.
0: Okay. And this has been great. I love your content. I can't recommend subscribing enough to people at patreon.com. Thanks so much for the time. Thank you. If you're interested in finding Kean's analysis, go to patreon.com. That's P-A-T-R-E-O-N.com. It's a website where people create content for subscribers. At the top of the page where it says find a creator, type in his first name, Kean, that's spelled C-I-A-N. And as I said earlier, you can subscribe for as little as $2 a month. The Bengals Booth Podcast is presented by Bud Light Seltzer. It's light and refreshing with a hint of fruit flavor. Zach Taylor and Jamar Chase spoke to reporters shortly after the Bengals made their selection. I've picked out a few of the most interesting things they had to say, beginning with the Bengals head coach.
2: We need to be more explosive. You know, that's one of the things that we lacked these last two years, really. And, and so adding a guy like Jamar Chase, uh, when you already got TB and you got T. Higgins, and then we got good depth behind him as well. Um, and then you look at some of the other playmakers we got on offense. We're, we're really excited about the direction we're headed.
1: Uh, one of the things I heard a lot talking with Jamar's high school coach was just his work ethic. Yeah. Um, how much of that was a part of your decision as well?
2: A- absolutely. He fits everything that we're about here in Cincinnati. Uh, that, that's one of the things you can get. That, that's where Joe Burrow comes into play. You know, you get a chance to talk about a guy's work ethic. And for Joe to talk about how much time they spent together even in the spring, you know, just outside of football and working on a one-on-one, um, outside of t- team activities, tells you what you need to know about um, about him and that, that he's going to fit right in with what we're doing on offense and as a team. Zach,
1: yeah, how, how much did, like, did uh, Joe campaign for Jamar and, and how much of that success they had in 2019 play a role in this pick?
2: That's not really Joe's style. You know, I, I know that was reported out there. That, that's not how he goes about his business, you know, but – um, I, I certainly went to him and asked him specific questions about, about not only Jamar, but other the players he's played with. And um, you could tell that he had a great fondness for Jamar. He would be excited to play with him again if that's the direction we headed. Uh, but again, that, that's not really Joe's style to, to come up and say, hey, we need to be taking this guy. That, that didn't happen at all.
0: Did the offensive line depth, Zach, in this draft make it easier to take a wide receiver in round one?
2: We feel like there's some guys available um, that can help us. We also feel like you know get, getting Jonah back healthy, getting Riley Reef over there at right tackle. Um, that that we've got some guys coming back that will help us that maybe weren't available to us all of last year, and and so again, there will be some players in this draft. That that's a position we we will continue to address. But um, felt good about adding Jamar with the fifth pick.
0: When you asked Joe Burrow uh, for some information about Jamar, was there anything? especially impactful or any story that that he shared that you really resonated with you?
2: I don't know that I needed a lot of convincing uh, necessarily. I just said a scale of one to ten. What would be your excitement level if we added Jamar Chase? And he said ten. And uh, that's a pretty good
0: answer. It appeared that uh, Jamar was wearing orange and black shoes. I, I don't know if he anticipated this or hoped for it or, or if I'm just you know reading too much into it. But how did he react uh, when you made the call?
2: You could see there was some excitement there. You know, he was obviously in Cleveland with his family, and you could hear the cheers in the background. And um, It's one of those experiences I don't take for granted, being able to share that news with somebody, and, and it's life-changing news. And um, I could tell the excitement level. Um, you could see whoever was behind him was excited as well. So it, it was a really cool experience.
0: Tamar attended the draft with his family, as well as LSU head coach Ed Orgeron and wide receivers coach Mickey Joseph. Here are a few of Jamar's comments to the Cincinnati media. It was an amazing feeling, <clears throat> you know, getting that call, of course, you know, being a fifth pick.
3: Um, I just couldn't really believe it at the most part, you know. I was wondering who was actually calling my phone, like, like, is somebody really calling me right now? And uh, I see no Ohio um, area code, and uh, I just was like, this is it. And uh, hey, coach, called me, coach. Coach called me and um, told me, he's like, we're going to, we're going to draft you and make you a Cincinnati bingo.
1: Jamar, uh, Twitter was losing its mind about the shoes when they saw your shoes with the orange and black. So we have to know, um, That's Crazy. was that was that planned out thinking like the Bengals might take you? Did you have a good feeling they might? Did you want them to? I mean, what was the thought process in that?
3: Uh, it's crazy because the shoes were actually not. This was the last minute pick with the shoes actually. Um, And it just so happened to be with the orange color. You know, I like them that I like how they look with my suit and I stay with it. So uh, I even had to go get an orange handkerchief just to make sure it looked correctly.
1: (laughs) Jamar, you mentioned the excitement to play with uh, Joe again. Do you feel like you guys can be even more dangerous in the NFL than you were at LSU?
3: Definitely. You know, uh, there's always room to grow. And I think this is another way, another chance for me to grow and also Joe. Uh, I definitely can learn more about the game because he definitely taught me some stuff when I was at LSU so I think this will be easy
1: did, did he call and wish you congratulations yet or text you
3: um, I, I actually don't know my phone has been ringing in my pocket for the past 10 minutes I haven't I haven't took it out my pocket yet actually so I'm hoping he called
2: Jamar how much have you guys
0: talked to you and Joe about this potential reunion
3: um me and Joe talked about this maybe like three four times actually uh, we talked about it a good bit of times. Um, he texted me this morning and was letting me know, get your bags packed. So I guess that means that was going to be the pick. I don't know if that was a hint or what. So he sent me that little text this morning. And I was like, okay, I'm ready, bro. Jamar, Jamar. I remember you uh, kept a list on your mirror, I think, at home. You kept a list on your mirror of goals. Right. Wondering uh, just kind of broadly what they were and was being the fifth pick in the draft uh, ever on that list. <laughs> uh actually the fifth pick in the draft was not on that list. Uh I, I just wanted to be drafted, you know. I think that was the biggest happiness I had all night, you know, uh being drafted. Um but you know, everything else is falling in place now. Was it playing for a national champion and stuff like that and getting a thousand? Yeah, my goals on my on my uh mirror were you know um 10 touchdowns, 1,500 yards, 100 yards a game. Um I actually had the bleeding Cough Award in my in my on top of my mirror. Um, a few games in, so I actually know I had a chance of winning it once the season started. Do you have any goals for the pros? I mean, you know, what are you gonna put on your mirror? You know, tomorrow. Yeah. Do you have any goals for your uh, for your pro career? Uh, I definitely have some goals. I want to win rookie of the year. Um, I want to have 10 touchdowns. And I want to have at least 1,500 yards or 1,000 yards minimum for this year.
2: Jamar, I've, I'm sure you've seen the new uh, rules where receivers can wear single-digit numbers. Are you gonna? Do you want to wear number one with the Bengals?
3: That's the plan, getting back in one. I think that's that's my goal right there. I think that's what I want to do.
0: Bengals have had some great wide receivers over the years. Jamar, most recently, A.J. Green, and, and before that, Chad Johnson. Mm-hmm. Any thoughts on those two guys and following in that uh, legacy?
3: Uh, I'm going to break every record they got at the Bengals. That's my goal right there. I'm telling you right now, I'm going to break every record they have. I don't know how I'm going to do it, but it's going to get done.
0: He certainly doesn't lack for confidence. Now time to recap round one and look ahead to rounds two and three with my broadcast partner, Dave Lapham. Lap, for the longest time, I've been saying that I was a member of Team Sewell. I kept joking. I was a card-carrying member of Team Sewell. But as the hours went by leading up to the draft, I can honestly say that I had kind of flipped over to to Team Chase. I don't know if it's because I thought they were going to take Chase and I was preparing myself for it. uh, But it, it really swung so much that when atlanta was on the clock and we were waiting to see if they were going to take kyle pitts i actually got nervous that they were going to take chase yeah
4: yeah i i think i think the bengals probably had a little angst there too because uh that would not have been been out of the realm of possibility there's no question about that um they're all worthy of of top five picks of course and and uh in, in in Chase and uh, and Pitts went still went at number seven. Yeah, it was it was interesting and and honestly, I think the uh, the mindset that that the Bengals had in terms of take two and thirty eight. Excuse me, take number five and number thirty eight and get the best value. You know, uh, played out well because offensive linemen. uh, There were three three offensive linemen taken in the in the first fourteen selections. And then two more the rest of the draft of the round. So there are only five offensive linemen off the board. And and so there's some good choices at offensive line in terms of depth there left in the second round. And then I, I thought, man, it's going to be tough because there's a lot of edge rushers left as well. Well, four out of the five last picks in the first round were all edge rush guys. My guy, Turner went, um, uh tryon went, you know, another guy that I thought it might be, you know, somebody that, you think about uh, Oway went and uh, Russo went, so uh, that there was a run on that down the stretch. But it still leaves, you know, quite a few offensive linemen for them to think about. That's for sure.
0: And we will definitely break down some of those second round possibilities and maybe even third round possibilities in just a second. Let's get back though to Jamar Chase for just a moment. Uh, we were uh, part of the Cincinnati media that took part in, in Zoom calls with Zach Taylor. Brian Callahan, the offensive coordinator, and then Jamar Chase. Anything jump out from those conversations to you?
4: Not really. I mean, it was all it was all pretty much things that we had heard, you know, about about Chase's game. Um, obviously the interesting little nugget was that you know, Joe, Joe Burrow text, texted him and reached out to him and let him know go ahead and pack your bags. You're coming to uh you're coming to Cincinnati. So obviously uh there there was a big uh a big interest in reuniting those two guys with the talents and skills that they showed in that 2019 season for sure um but i, I think the one thing that struck me about him is he's got a uh, he's got a personality he's got a good sense of humor I, I was i was thoroughly thoroughly entertained by the guy yeah i thought i think that uh he's gonna he's gonna bring a little bit of juice in a, in a lot of different ways to the locker room and uh first and foremost though is the electric play. I, I think that he's going to be uh, he's going to be somebody that obviously Joe Burrow knows how consistent a player he can be, how explosive a player he can be. And uh, and I think that's going to that's going to you know raise the boat. There's no question about it.
0: I thought Zach Taylor was interesting when he said early on, we need to be more explosive offensively. Right. So that was obviously a key reason why they elected to go with Jamar Chase over Panay Sewell or, or others. And then when Brian Callahan talked about in the current NFL, you can't hold on to the ball anymore. Like the days of the seven-step drop are over. Uh, you've got to get rid of it quickly because the pass rush has become so fierce. And as a result, you need guys that can win quickly as wide receivers. And Jamar Chase definitely gives them somebody that can do that.
4: I agree with that. And, and the thing I, I also liked, the comment that uh, Brian Callahan made when he said, his mindset is to score every time he gets his hands on the football and, and that, you know, he was a touchdown maker extraordinaire in 2019 with 20 of them. Uh, And he, and he led the country with 24 plays of over 20 yards. So the explosiveness, the ability to finish the ability to, you know, take the ball, the distance, um, you know, that, uh, you know, those, those all, all are something that you're starving for. And I think, Honestly, this guy runs – he's such a good runner with the ball after the catch. Uh, you can line him up in the backfield and run a toss sweep with the guy. I think he's that good of a runner. He's got a low center of gravity. He's, he's, he's strong where he needs to be strong in his lower body. And I think he's going to be you – know, I think he's going to be tough to tackle. I think he's going to break a lot of tackles. And with that four-three-four speed, man, I'm telling you, look, look for some big plays from him. I look for him to be a a big contributor in the screen game, you know, the wide receiver screen game, the alley screens, the slot screens, and I like his position versatility. You know, he he, a lot of people think that he he could be he could project to be one of the best outside receivers in the game as well as one of the best inside receivers in the game, and he didn't show any bashfulness. And uh, the other thing I liked about him was his confidence. You know, what, what, what what are the I'm going to break those records. With the records of AJ Green and Chad Ocho-Sinko, so I'm going to break those records. That's my goal, and I don't think it's uh you know, <laughs> I think it's just confidence that I don't. There's a difference, I guess, between cockiness and confidence, and we'll see which which one he is. But uh, I, I like it. I like the fact that he he feels like he's going to be a playmaker, make plays, do a lot of good things, and uh and and add to the explosiveness of the football team, like Zach was talking about.
0: He basically moves into the starting lineup in the spot that A.J. Green played last year. And A.J. last year had no explosiveness. His game basically had become run a slant, box a guy out, use his height and his reach to make the catch, maybe gain eight to ten yards. There wasn't much after the catch. Obviously, A.J. did all of those things early in his career. But last year, he was more or less a, a box out your defender possession receiver and Jamar Chase, on the other hand, is a guy that can take one of those slants and go 80 yards.
4: Yeah, and the, and the thing is, you know, I was I was very interested in seeing when A.J. came back uh, to, to the mix, oh, how are they going to cover him? Are they going to put the number one corner on him? Will it be number two, number three? A lot of times it was number three, and he wasn't winning consistently, you know, against that number three guy. So now you're talking about, you know, Chase and T. Higgins and then Tyler Boyd in the slot. Man, I mean, you, you, you've got somebody, somebody is going to have the lesser corner. And I, I think, I think the perfect spot for Chase is at that ex, ex receiver spot, you know, where you're split end, you're out there by yourself. It's one on one. You know, if they roll coverage that way, T. Higgins and Tyler Boyd are going to, they're going to feast on the other side of the football. So, you know, I, I think that, that formationally, and and people filling those formation uh, spots and, and creating mismatches and matchup favorable matchups for the Bengals in the passing game is going to be a big deal.
0: All right. So let's move on to day two rounds, two and three, the Bengals will have the sixth pick in the second round. They had the fifth pick in the first, but they've got the sixth pick in the second round number 38 overall. And then they're back to the fifth pick in the third round, which will be number 69 overall. We certainly would anticipate that they're going to go offensive line in the second round. I suppose an edge rusher is possible, uh, but offensive line seems to be the most likely scenario. As you pointed out, five offensive linemen were taken in round one. Panay Sewell was the seventh pick. Rashawn Slater went 13th. Elijah Vera Tucker went 14th. Alex uh, Leatherwood, 17th. To the raiders that was a guy that a lot of people had kind of targeted as a cincinnati possibility in round two he went yeah. in the middle of round one and then christian Darrisaw went to the vikings at number 23 so that leaves a lot of good offensive linemen now keep in mind they do pick sixth so you know one or two of these offensive linemen will probably go uh before they pick in the second round unless they elect to move up i wouldn't necessarily anticipate that uh, but the highest ranked offensive lineman according to most of the things that I've looked at that did not get selected was Tevin Jenkins from Oklahoma State, 24th on Dane Brugler's board, 21st on the Athletics Consensus Board, where they looked at a lot of the different uh, big boards, 31st according to Pro Football Focus. So everybody seemed to have a first-round grade on Tevin Jenkins, 6'6", 315 pounds, 33 and a half inch arms, but he didn't go.
4: He didn't go, and 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 supposedly he plays with a nasty streak. You know, supposedly he's very very physical, and uh, you know a lot of people had him going to the uh, Pitt, Pittsburgh Steelers. I saw in, in some mocks going there, and you know that's he's an ASC North kind of guy. So I, I think that he's got to be somebody that is potentially uh, one that they're targeting. But this what, what could happen is exactly what happened at the end of the first round, where four out of the five picks. New Orleans went edge rush, uh, Green Bay went, went in the secondary and then Buffalo and, uh, Baltimore and Tampa Bay all went edge rush. So four out of five guys, because edge rush, not many edge guys had gone. So there was a run on them. So now everybody's shuffling their board, just like the Bengals are doing. And they're saying, wow, I mean, there's some value at the offensive line. So they don't pick till number six. So, honestly, Dan, I still think there are six candidates out there, though. You know, Jenkins being one of them, uh, obviously, Landon Dickerson, there must be some sort of an injury issue, because a lot of people had him going in the first round, he didn't get drafted, the center out of Alabama, and he's probably the only Alabama Crimson Tide player that didn't get drafted in the first round. Gosh, six of the first 24 guys were Crimson Tide players, I mean, 25% right there, but you know Jackson Carmen's there, Leon uh, Leon Eichenberg's there, Dylan Ray Duns is there. You know there there are still guys there in the in that uh, you know second round that I think still have quite a bit of value. So it, it's going to be interesting.
0: Samuel Cosby also yeah. did not go out of Texas. So one of the highly ranked offensive linemen, Walker Little, a Walker Little, a person that you've mentioned before, out of Stanford. Yeah. Uh, Now, he he is an injury issue guy, and uh, Landon Dickerson did have a torn ACL last year, so that's a big reason why he's still on the board. But, you know, the guys that we've just mentioned have been mentioned as first-round candidates in many cases, and they're still there, so they are going to have the opportunity to get a, a highly graded offensive lineman in round two.
4: Well, I mean, you know, Dickerson obviously has the rehabbing from the knee, like you said, Dan, but shoot, I saw him doing like a cartwheel (laughs) down there during the uh, pro day. So, Wondering how seriously affected he, he might be, but I mean, okay, say we go uh, guys that would still be on the board that people would think highly rated as offensive linemen, depending on you need interior or on the edge. Landon Dickerson, Jackson, Carmen, Eichenberg, Radons. Cosme, um, Walker, Little—that's six right there. So the Bengals are going to get one of them. I mean, if 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 everybody takes one, they still end up with a guy that I think uh, would would make sense. And they'd say, hey, you know what? We were right. When you take the value of of going receiver at five and an offensive lineman at thirty-eight, as opposed to taking Penae Sewell, and then what kind of receiver would be left? You know, at uh, at thirty-eight. They're, they're probably right, I, or I, I guess it's to be determined. You certainly can't just, you know, assume it, but um, I, I don't think they, they'll have a problem with any one of those potential candidates being there when they pick at 38th in the offensive line. I think that, uh, you know, Frank Pollock will be happy.
0: What do you think the likelihood is at this point of double dipping offensive linemen in rounds two and three? Or are there so many guards in this draft that the more likely scenario is offensive line, edge rush, or defensive lineman, and then come back for an interior type lineman in round four?
4: I'm, I'm thinking that might be a little bit more of the play uh, because, you know, if you, if you double dip, if you go offensive lineman in the third round, there, there are guys out there like Spencer Brown, Dante Smith. I mean, guys like that, In my estimation, I mean Spencer Brown in the in the early third round. I that that's a good fit. I you know I guess I guess you'd have to say, all right. Well, we're taking offensive lineman at thirty eight. What's the run on edge rushers? There's more depth in the offensive line than edge rush probably, but you know did the did the edge rush get damaged in terms of a run in round two? And it's clear cut. You know uh, when we get into at sixty nine that it's that it's going to be it's going to be. Uh, you know that uh, that offensive lineman, instead of going back to back, that 69th guy will be the edge guy, best edge guy that's left, as opposed to another offensive lineman in consecutive rounds two and three. So, in, unless there's a big disparity, Dan. You know, I mean, it's if if your board dictates, you know, well, it's close. It's only we got we have a, an edge rush guy that uh, we, we've got rated at uh, at, at 65. And we have an offensive lineman that we got rated at 69. Well, we'll probably go with the edge rush guy, you know. But if it were reversed, what would you do? Would you go with the offensive lineman? Would you go with the edge rush guy? It's gonna be interesting. But the good news is they'll they'll have some options there.
0: I wrote down the names of six edge rushers that are still available. Now, some of these guys are gonna go in round two. So if the Bengals go offensive line, these guys won't all still be there. Uh, in round three, but maybe one or two still is. Carlos Basham from Wake Forest is still there, had 11 sacks a couple of years ago, 274 pounds, and ran a 4.5940. Joseph Osai from Texas is still there. uh, Unbelievable athletic freak, 256 pounds, did an 11-foot, basically an 11-foot broad jump. Ronnie Ronnie Perkins from Oklahoma is still there, although he might be a character- a question mark because he was a suspended early portion of last year after failing a drug test. I know in a previous conversation with you, you've mentioned the name Dio Odangbo from Vanderbilt, yeah. 285 pounds, 35 and a half inch arms, explosive athlete, team captain, although I guess he had a recent Achilles uh, issue, uh, but certainly a candidate to keep an eye on. You've got Rashad Weaver from Pitt. You have quincy roche from miami who started out his college career at temple uh, set the all-time sacks record in the american athletic conference and then transferred to miami so i saw him when he was still at temple and he was something special so those are uh you know six names that are still out there as possible edge rush candidates
4: yeah and and cameron sample you know some people talk about a little bit the kid from tulane um, like you said, the Vanderbilt kid has got, the, he's got that Achilles issue, but man, he, he, is long. I mean, 86 and a half inch wingspan. I mean, that's a condor. It's unbelievable. Um, you know, he, and he's, he's, uh, he's versatile, you know, he can rush inside can rush on the edge. He's got some twitchiness to him. He's got a good first step. You know, I, I I'd like that guy. My man, Peyton Turner went pretty high. You know, I, I didn't, I didn't, I was hoping that he might be there. As a consideration at 38, but boy, he went—you uh, know—he went 10, 10 spots higher. I think he went at 28, if I'm not mistaken, to New Orleans. 28
0: to the Saints. That is correct.
4: Yep. Yeah, so it's going to be—it's uh, going to be interesting to see how it, it plays out. But there's going to be plenty of options on the board. That's the good news, Dan. Is you know, sixth, uh, sixth pick in that second round, and you know, wonder if uh, the phone starts ringing a little bit. Again, if somebody has somebody targeted and you can pick up an extra third round pick and don't move back too far. I mean, we're talking about six offensive linemen, another half a dozen defensive linemen that you might be okay with. I mean, if you could move back from the sixth pick in that second round to number 10 or number 12, you know, no further than that and pick up an extra third or fourth round guy might might want to think about that. There's there's uh, no reason not to.
0: How about defensive tackle? Milton Williams out of Louisiana Tech is a third round candidate. That's a name that's been attached to the bengals on quite a few mock drafts. Little undersized for tackle 63 284 pounds but a great athlete ran a four six three forty. Uh, had 10 sacks over the last couple of years. typically in that kind of 70 to 90 range on most of the you know the big boards and that would be the 69th pick in the draft.
4: I would have no problem with that. You know, I mean, um I, I think in a perfect world, I'd like to see an edge guy, you know, that could that could give the versatility of rushing as a three technique inside as well in the nickel. You know, I I, I guess I'd like to go that that route if uh if at all feasible, but I I wouldn't have a problem. Honestly, you know, both both lines of scrimmage, I, I, I would have no issue with them adding you know, depth and, and uh, productivity up and down the line of scrimmage on both lines of scrimmage. It wouldn't it wouldn't be a problem to me at all.
0: All right. Just for the fun of it, let's make a prediction on the second round pick. Let's throw, we'll each throw out a name. We assume it's going to be an offensive lineman or maybe you don't, I don't know. But uh, let's throw out a name for who they will take with the 38th pick in the draft, assuming they do not trade back.
4: I'd, I'll, I'll say I can burn.
0: Liam Eichenberg from uh, Notre Dame. Do you think Notre he'll Dame. be a think he'll be a guard in the NFL or will he stay think, a tackle?
4: I think he's a guard. I think he's a guard in the NFL. You know, my other I I I would I, I'd probably either go Red Duns or Eichenberg. I'd probably go amongst those two guys.
0: All right. Um, so you take Eichenberg, <laughs> I'll take uh, Dylan Radens, I think it's pronounced from North Dakota State. <laughs> yep. Uh left tackle there. Do you think he's a guard in the NFL, or do you think he stays at tackle?
4: I think he's got a, a, a better chance to, uh, to stay at tackle. He's a little bit longer. Yeah. He's got 34 arms instead of 32 and a half inch arms. That's what Eichenberg's issue is, but Eichenberg's found a way to overcome it. Um, and Eichenberg's less than 80 inch reach. Whereas uh, Radon's, uh is not, I mean, he, he's up over that. So the measurables say that, that, that that's a possibility. The other guy, though, I mean, Cosme is, was first rounder in a lot of mocks. I mean, Cosme was a first round guy, as well as uh, Walker Little was first round guy in some mocks as well. So if you want to go pure tackle, you know, I think maybe those guys, Cosme and Walker Little, you know, would be uh, potential candidates as well. And and I guess, yeah, we have no idea, you know, what the other five teams ahead of the Bengals are going to do. But I'd be good with any of those bad boys. And they're. There's no way – I shouldn't say no way, but it would be mighty crazy if all five people took offensive linemen before the Bengals with that sixth pick in the second round. Wouldn't you agree? Uh, I'd
0: be shocked if that were yeah. the case. We didn't even mention Tevin Jenkins. In my case, I'm assuming he goes in those I mean, first five picks of the second round.
4: Me too. I think when people reset their board, they're going to be like, what? Kevin Jenkins is still there? And I think guys like, you know, Cosme, uh, Walker Little, those guys, some I, I think particularly if you project to play, be able to play that tackle position, you know, you're gonna be, you're gonna be the higher, the more likely candidate to go. So I think we're looking at guys that are, you know, more tackle guard uh, candidates that that might might be there and, and and probably a higher chance of being there. But man, if one of those tackles showed up, bingo, man, jump on that bad boy.
0: All right. It's late. I'm now a card carrying member of team chase looking forward to rounds two and three and talking again tomorrow night.
4: Yeah. I mean, it, it'd be a great draft, Dan, if uh, you know, get, get the receiver, get an offensive lineman and edge rush guy in the third round, go back to O-line in the fourth round. And, you know, I mean, if, if, if guys in, in the fourth round, if guys like you know Tommy Doyle, uh, potentially a guy out of uh, University of Miami of Ohio. If, if if he's there in the fourth round, he he might be, you know, a, a, a good possibility. You you just uh, you don't know at that point. That's that's a big projection. You don't know what's going to happen. Never mind in the uh, in the second round, the third round yet. So, uh, but I, I I still think, and a lot of people you know are obviously in this school of thought. I I think that there's. Plenty of depth in the offensive line. I think they can attack it again in the fourth round, Dan, and not be embarrassed. I really do.
0: Especially with an interior guy.
4: No doubt. No doubt. Um, I, I I agree. I think I think guards and centers. I I think it's a deep guard draft. I think a lot of these tackles going to end up playing guard, and I think it is a very very deep draft at the guard position. The Bengals can do some damage in in uh, in rounds two and rounds four. All
0: right. I'm going to crack a beer and put this podcast together. You go to bed. We'll talk again tomorrow.
4: Sounds like a plan, my man. I'll tell you, I'd be, I'd be a one beer and out guy because I'm going to be an out guy without beer. <laughs>
0: <laughs> we'll have new episodes of the podcast posted as quickly as possible after days two and three of the draft. That's going to do it for this edition of the Bengals Booth Podcast brought to you by Bud Light Seltzer. Refresh the game. If you haven't done so already, please subscribe, and if you have a minute, give it a rating or share a comment. That helps more Bengals fans find this podcast. I'm Dan Horde, and thank you for listening to the Bengals Booth Podcast.